Welcome to the weekly episode of the Freelancer Codex Podcast. Your hosts, Stephen, and co-hosts Mike, Devin, and JD are all set. Join us and tweet your questions at Freelancer Codex. Find us on Facebook at Freelancer Codex. Or send emails to freelancercodex at gmail.com. Strap into your javelins and let's drop in. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Freelancer Codex Podcast. This is episode 117, and this is a, it's special because John Warner is back with us again, joining us from the uh, Great North. John, welcome. Thank you for hanging out with us. We're, we're well, very thank- glad you could be here. Thanks for having me. It is it, it is a pleasure. The last time I man, I think it's been almost like a year and four months since the last time we talked. Last time we talked was right before Anthem released, yeah. and that was I think it was actually at your guys's um, Christmas party. You took a couple extra minutes so that you could talk with a bunch of weirdos like us, and we've always appreciated that. <laughs> it's my pleasure, man. It's yeah. good to be back. Well, thanks. So at the top of the show before. It, uh, I don't want to lead anyone on and think this is going to be like a tell-all where where you tell us everything that happened during the development of Anthem. This is going to be very much not Anthem-focused, but more industry-focused, just because um, you're not allowed to talk about development of games right now. I think uh, the whole Bioware team is still in show-don't-tell mode, if I'm not mistaken. So anyone that is thinking this is going to be a huge, long thing about Anthem, it's not. I'm sorry. I don't know when or if you'll ever get that. But this is just a t- us talking with John about the industry. Uh, John, you've been in the industry for how long now? How many years? You don't have to tell us how old you are. but <laughs> I've been in the industry for uh, roughly 17 years now. So, so you've been, you've been around the block, as they say. So, so we're going to pick your brain about things that are going on. And right before we dive into that, uh, Mike, will you read us, uh, our sponsor for the show for this episode? He appears Mike, to have absconded. Mike, Mike, Mike left. So I, see, I can't, this is what happens when I can't see the cameras when I've got all my other things up. I need four screens instead of three. So this show is actually brought to you by Laughly, and Laughly is a new clothing brand for athletes with a sense of humor. Whether you're a lifelong gym rat or you're just starting the New Year's resolution to get healthy, Laughly wants you to sport your sense of humor whenever and whenever you exercise. So head on over to Laughly.com and check out dozens of hilarious designs like their Ben Swallow t-shirt or their Kerm Rip the Frog tank top. All their shirts and tanks have been custom fit and are made from the softest, highest quality cotton poly fabric. So never pay for another scratchy unisex shirt that fits like it was made for a box. Their shirts and tanks start out at just $19 and they're shipped directly to your door. Laughlead is offering our listeners of the Freelancer Codex podcast 20% off their first purchase on anything from Laughly.com. Just use promo code Freelancer at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's Laughly.com, L-A-U-G-H-L-E-T-E.com. So go support Laughlead. Um, Phaedrin over there has been putting together a pretty, pretty fun business and we like to support our people. So go do that. All right. So real quick. Ooh. Um, John, I wanted to really pick your brain on, on E3. We know that the coronavirus has been canceling everything from the NBA to hockey leagues to every sporting event you could possibly imagine. Um, PAX was canceled. And now just recently we heard that E3 is being canceled. And I wanted to get your, your take on, you know, how is that going to impact the industry as a whole? 
Um, do you think it's going to have little impact, low impact? Do you think that will be better because this one's changed so E3 can evolve in the future? Oh, that's an interesting point. I think, uh, you know, I, it feels like this is kind of an inflection point. E3, uh, for a lot of people, is uh, is a great event. I know I've always loved it. I love going. Um, it, it's kind of a, a gamer's Disneyland in many respects, you know, just go and have a good time and see all the new things. Um, but you know, the, the landscape uh, of gaming is, is changing and how developers interact with, with gamers is changing. When E3 first came around, that was one of the only ways that we could reach our audience was, you know, we'd, we'd put on a big show at E3 invite all the press and retailers and then the press and the retailers would go and talk to the fans and gamers. Uh, and now, I mean, we were more able to talk directly to uh, our communities and to our players. Uh, so the scene's evolving. I know that E3 has had ups and downs over the last little bit, especially with, you know, big players deciding not to show up to E3. I mean, Bethesda hasn't been a part of, official e3 for a long long time now um so you know yeah i think it's a bit of an evolution and we'll see what happens you know we'll come out of this year after the esa's got a chance to kind of reflect on it and i'm sure that they'll come out and, and put something uh interesting back in place but uh time will tell. yeah i think of of the, a lot of the little small indie developers that get it that usually get a big chance to be shown with, you know, during the Sony press conference or the Microsoft press conference. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a big presence at those. I mean, there, there's tons of games that you see during their quick little reels that it's like, hey, look at that game. That looks interesting. That's super cool. And and, and I'm kind of scared for those smaller developers that might not get that spotlight this year. Because, I mean, I think of a game like Tunic. You know, there's that tiny little fox that looks like Link from Legend of Zelda that it's like, you saw that for a couple seconds. You're like, oh, that looks really cool. Now I'm interested in that game. Otherwise, it's really hard to find those gems. So I hope I hope there's some way that those little companies can find a way to, to make a big impact. Because, you know, we're, we'll always, Microsoft and Sony, they'll always be big enough to get eyes on their projects but those little tiny guys it's going to be a little bit harder for them to do that yeah it's a good point that and that is one of the great things about e3 uh but there are also the other venues right there's there's packs there's there are other conventions and i know that both the sony microsoft and nintendo all have uh, a very strong commitment to indie developers so uh you know hopefully they get their shot and their chance to shine in, in other ways and other venues. Yeah. Do you have a favorite E3 memory or E3 moment? Oh man. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite E3s was the very first one I ever attended when I worked at uh, Microsoft. And uh, at that E3, I got to see uh, Fable and meet Peter Molyneux and uh, Blizzard was actually showcasing a playable of Starcraft ghost, which oh, was wow. famously, canceled uh and it was fun it was great <laughs> great playable um that was a that was a really cool e3 i got to uh i got to go and see and meet a bunch of really cool people and see a bunch of cool games and it was you know it was my first e3 so it was uh that was, that's a lasting memory yeah, and I That's think it's cool. interesting that you got to see StarCraft Ghost back then, and then this year, you know, it was it was found somewhere on some dev kit, and now there's a playable, you know, slice of StarCraft Ghost out there. Because 
I mean, that was that was yeah. so big for for Blizzard to venture off into the you know third person perspective game mm-hmm. style that, and and Blizzard being the the perfectionist they are and saying nope, it's not ready. We're gonna we're gonna cut it back. Um, so that's very yeah. that's very cool. Um, I think when I guess what it's easy for me to like think of E three twenty seventeen because that had a huge impact on us, like starting a podcast, seeing you up on stage, um, talking about Anthem for the first time. I mean, was it? You you had to be nervous up there, right? When you're like announcing a big uh, game on the stage at E3 <laughs> uh, at the Microsoft press conference. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. Microsoft has a they are a well oiled machine when it comes to their press conferences, though. And uh, you know there was enough practice involved. Fortunately, where uh, by the time you get up there and actually do it, it's breathtaking to stand up in front of all of those people. I don't know. How many people were in the arena? Fifteen or sixteen thousand people, plus everybody online. Uh, so it's definitely breathtaking, but uh, it was exhilarating too. I loved it. Yeah, that's very cool. Is do you have? And, and this is something that I, I was like, if how do you how do you ask this question? Is is the game industry scary, John? Like, you know, is it something that because you look at it, you look at it from the outside looking in, and it looks like there's a bunch of people doing tons of hard work like a bunch of smart people getting degrees and learning a program i mean is it scary trying to get into the industry at first or is it something that you know a normal weirdo like we could you know just jump in there and get in no it's uh it's not scary and definitely i think it's more approachable than many people think um you know i don't think you have to have any special gift or anything to to get in there you just have to be aware uh, that there are opportunities, uh, and then you know, think about where you want to jump in. If you're, you know, if you're a programmer, uh, you know, getting internships, uh, you know, having programs available to you that you can actually have access to is important. And then I think, you know, like I just got in because I knew people in the industry, and they uh, they helped me in. Yeah. Has there been, has there ever been a time in your 17 years where you felt like you wanted to leave the industry, but you know? Yeah. Uh, there, you know, moments, there've been moments where I was like, okay, maybe this is, maybe this is it for me. Cause I've done other things besides, you know, uh, develop video games. But, uh, I mean, honestly, this is, uh, it's a great industry and I love it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I've done lots of other stuff. And uh, I wouldn't want to uh, to leave it. So, so what keeps you coming back? Is it just the creativity, being able to create the people? Yeah, it's it's a mix of that, right? It's the people uh, being able to work with the teams that I've been lucky enough to work with uh, in both at, at Microsoft and at Disney and, and here at EA. Uh, I feel very fortunate, and the people are amazing. Some of the most talented. Uh, creative, smartest people I've ever had the pleasure of knowing and working with. Uh, and that's part of it. And, and then part of it is, you know, the, the great opportunity and privilege to be able to create interactive software that people want to play and, you know, provide some entertainment for, for people. That's, that's a great way to earn your living. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Sorry, Steve, I'm going to cut you off because I have a question that I've been wanting to ask. <laughs> and I just yeah. had to find the, the right way to get in. So earlier, John, you said that the games are evolving and that E3 not going on this year might be mm-hmm. something good for the industry. So so how are games evolving? Are they evolving from the console-based 10-hour campaign 
um, co-op kind of thing. Like, um, cause Steve, Steve got a VR headset for Christmas and we played with that. Are games going that way? Could we see Anthem on VR? Could we see some of these other games that, that are pretty popular in that? Does that lend to that? What, what are your thoughts? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know about VR and, and AR. I mean, they're interesting technologies. I, I've got a VR headset. Uh, I, I'd love to have a HoloLens. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it, I think the platform that people play on is always going to be a choice that people are making. And I can't see right now one dominating over the other, but. I think it's more about accessibility and how we, how we get games where we can play games now. I mean, you know, Stadia, uh, despite their, uh, their struggles with their launch is a very interesting product. And so is, uh, so is NVIDIA's new uh, service, or I guess they relaunched it, uh, GeForce Now. These, you know, streaming, uh, and of course all the major platforms have streaming uh, platforms now that allow you to play almost anywhere. And it's that type of immediacy being able to see a game, grab it, play it, you know, and with streaming platforms, you don't have to wait for it to download. Right. There's no patches. <laughs> there's, there's none of that, you know, and so it just becomes all more immediate and accessible and available. And uh, it's really exciting to me because I think, you know, one of, one of my lifelong passions and joys has been reading. And I've always had a book in my pocket since I was in junior high school. Uh, and you know now suddenly gaming has similar opportunities right when i was in the military i always had my original game boy stuffed in my cargo pocket of my pants right because it's a tetris right that's right and (laughs) gasoline metroid nice Uh, because you know you never knew it's always hurry up and wait in the military so you know you're you're sitting around waiting for something uh terrifying to happen and so you pull out your game boy what kind of uh, pressure does that put on developers, that immediacy of being able to have something in your pocket, having regular updates, new mm-hmm. content dropping? Like, like, how does that affect you as a developer? Uh, well, it's really, it's really changed the landscape of, of how we develop games and how we live with our development cycles. You know, back when we were publishing games that were on a cartridge, you know, you had one shot at it and you made it as good as you can make it. And then it was done. It was out there. It was gone. Uh, but now, you know, it's great that we are able to refresh content and deliver new stuff. But it, it changes how you have to think about how you approach developing it and creating that content and how you're going to feed uh, feed the game and the community and, uh, and things like that. It's, it's a different mindset. Yeah, thinking of um, the immediacy and being able to stream, it, it makes me think that, you know, it it's almost like, you just need a quick hit of a game. So your games that you can stream, they can't be like those big, long, you know, you're not going to play The Witcher 3 on your iPhone while you're waiting in line, right? It's got to be those really quick-to-play, pick-up-and-go games, which seems like that would be kind of hard to do. Because right now with, like, I'm in the beta for, for the Xbox um, xCloud, and, and it's great yeah. thinking, like, I can play Halo whenever I want, right? But then it's like... Right. Until my until I get capped from you know because I'm streaming you know how many gigs over here and I should be working but it, 
it, it, it'll it'll really be interesting to see like if you know developers start making smaller bite-sized games almost like almost like a mobile game i guess but then you're like well don't we already have well, I, mobile I, games it's about context right i mean there are games that you play while you're waiting at you know at the store or at, you know at the bus stop or whatever uh and those are little bite-sized experiences um and I'm, I'm, what am I playing right now? I'm playing Knighthood from uh, from King. And that thing's crazy, but I love it, and it's great because I play it for a few minutes and then I set it down, and it's it's fun. Um, but I don't want to play Halo like that. I right. want to play Halo, you know, where I'm able to sit down and really immerse myself uh, in that world because you know Bungie and then three four three has done an amazing job in creating that. Uh, I think the opportunity in the streaming then becomes. I can play it on a device that's relatively low powered. I can have a, a Chromebook or a laptop of some sort and stream Halo to it and, and play it at the fidelity that, you know, otherwise would have to be at home to get. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm out camping or I'm, uh, I'm visiting my, my parents or, you know, my family. And, uh, you know, I have all of this gaming power at my fingertips. To me, that's the exciting bit. And, uh, you know, whether it changes the, the nature of long-form gaming or not, I guess we'll see. Yeah, that, that'll be really interesting. Uh, so you said you're playing you're playing Knighthood. So what other games are you playing now, John? Like what, what keeps you busy at night or in the morning whenever you game? <laughs> well, you know, I used, to, I used to get up early in the mornings and game. Uh, and this, is, this past year has been, uh, it's been a rough year uh, for me personally. Uh, so a lot of my gaming time has been eaten up. But uh, from uh, the the bits and pieces that I've been able to squeeze in, I've been playing uh, Link's Awakening on my Switch, which uh, is so charming. I just I just love playing that game. Uh, Knighthood on my phone. Uh, I've been playing uh, uh, Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order uh, on my on my PS4. Uh, and uh, you know, I've just been kind of uh, screwing around with my Xbox. I've gone back to the Master Chief Collection. Yeah, because uh, they keep updating that, and uh, and I'm a big I'm a big Halo nerd, so uh, I enjoy playing it and reading their books and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I've always been impressed by how much um, extra content the Halo universe produces through all of their books about Blue Team and you know ev- everything yeah. that they've done. I've just I've always wanted other other developers to keep putting out that much content because it seems like since they began. Like they never stop putting out novels. There, there seems to be a ton of novels and more content to dive in. And I really love that about the Halo universe because that's that's a really cool universe. And I'm excited for for Halo Infinite to be released later on this year. So it. And what what are your thoughts on on this next generation? We've got Halo Five, a big flagship flagship title coming out for Xbox Series X. I mean, with with the coronavirus also affecting possibly release dates of the new PlayStation and the new Xbox, do you think Sony's kind of been playing it way too safe while Microsoft has really been getting after it with, you know, Game Pass and everything that they're yeah. doing and showing off? Ah, uh, God, you know, it's so hard to tell. Uh, you know, it seems like Sony and Microsoft trade places every other year, right? Uh, the 360 was so dominant. Uh, and then, you know, PlayStation 4 comes back and just really shows off uh, what a high-quality console really is. Um, and my Xbox One X, I play it. I love it. And I'm looking forward to the Series X. 
So, you know, we'll see. I don't know. It's Sony is Sony's a big player. They've got a lot up their sleeve. I think Microsoft has a nice big uh, advantage right now because they've, they've been basically speaking, the only one speaking to the audience. So everyone's really excited about their platform. I know I'm excited about it. So uh, I never count Sony out, though. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be pretty awesome to see what this generation brings because it, it seems like they're, the services that everyone's providing now is to get us engaged and we'll, we'll all benefit from that. But I know you talked a little bit about Stadia earlier. Do you think they can kind of reposition themselves to be that Netflix of games that we always thought that they were trying to be before they went yeah, and showed us that uh, model? I, I think they can. I think they can. I think you, with a company like Google... And this is their first foray into gaming in a serious way. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have a learning curve. Uh, and I think they can, I think they can reposition it and turn it around and, and bring something that is more clearly uh, a value proposition. You know, right now their, their pricing model and their game library and stuff, it's, it's super confusing. Um, and so I think streamlining that coming out with a clear value proposition for, for gamers uh, the technology is awesome, uh, and the uh, the possibilities are amazing. So I think they'll I think they'll turn around. I, I hope. Speaking so. of all the possibilities, oh sorry, Steve. No, you speaking go, of Mike. all the possibilities and everything that's available. So in the industry, maybe you've got some insider information. When will crossplay be a thing? Like normal crossplay? When oh, when when can we expect that? Just like as that. every day, this is industry standard. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't have any secret information on that one. Uh, <laughs> no, I hope uh, I hope it happens within this generation. Uh, it won't happen at the beginning of the generation, uh, but I hope it happens this time. Uh, it's just, you know, the the appliance that you're playing on is becoming more and more irrelevant, especially with cloud services. Um, so I think that you know, crossplay has a real opportunity here because uh, we all want to play together. And right. we don't be limited by the hardware that we play on. Uh, so I think it'll happen. Very I hope cool. so. We need to be able to play together. Enough of this loyalty Enough to, of this. The, to the plastic. Enough so. of this. I, yeah, I only play on Xbox on Thursdays and PC on Fridays. <laughs> and so. Ain't no one yeah. getting yeah. to bring people together. Let's all, not let's just all get along, right? Can't we just all just get along? Exactly. So I'm going to change gears here. I know Steve wanted to say something, but I'm going to cut him off. And we, because you've been talking for a while, we're going to give your voice a break because, you know, that's how it works on a show like this. So what has everybody been playing currently? Like, like we haven't met in a while. So what is everybody doing? What, um, and we'll let John answer too, but we'll just go around the room and what's everybody been up to? We've, we haven't met for a while. Steve? Oh, I just wanted to ask John questions. So. That's oh, that's all I've been did. that's all I've been preparing for. So so I'll, I'll ask He's you this. He's been talking for a while because since we only have him for forty five minutes, I'll tell everyone what I've been playing because I've been playing a ton of stuff afterwards. Um, but John, like serious question, what sets Bioware apart from everywhere else? I mean, you've worked other places, so what makes Bioware Bioware? What's the magic? Oh man, um, I mean it's it's. It's the people there, obviously, but it's also kind of the the focus and the mission. I think that, you know, this past year, we've put a lot of work into uh, making sure that we were, re- we're shoring up the things that make Bioware special. Um, 
and delivering uh, delivering experiences that our fans want to play. Uh, but for me, for me personally, uh, what makes Bioware special is the people, the people that we that we work with, the people that are there, you know, dreaming and creating and and really laying it all out on the line, uh, creating any sort of entertainment, uh, whether it's you know a novel or a movie or a video game, is an incredibly vulnerable act, right? Because you're you're taking all of your your ideas and your your creative impulse and you're laying it out on the line for, for people to, to like or love or hate. Uh, and it's, uh, it's difficult. It's it, in that aspect. It's a, it's a scary thing to do. Um, but the people of Bioware, uh, and I'm talking about the, the people, the creators, the modelers, the, the programmers, the, the, the audio designers, the animators, um, producers and, and development directors, they, they, they lay it out on the line every day in a fearless way. And uh, that's what I love about Bioware. That's why I stay at Bioware. And, um, I think that's what ultimately why Bioware has made, you know, great games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age and uh, Knights of the Republic and, and Anthem. Um, and, you know, I think that's what it is. And I think when we think about video games as entertainment, you know, we, we can look at movies and people can be super upset at movies, but it seems like they just move on, right? Because it's not yeah. like you can go in and patch a movie unless it's something like cats, right? And they just forget to, yeah. you know, <laughs> cover the human's hands with fur. But, yeah. you know, video games, it, it seems like, like as a developer, like we, we've seen, you know, all that's been said on Twitter and Reddit. And that's got to be hard because usually, like, no one's pointing out, like, the grip boy number two that you know yeah. was out there filming mission impossible you know it's just like oh we hate it we're angry and then they move on but video games just and, and i think that's probably because you know they're able to create so much more emotion in us um just be by the nature of of being a video game and we're controlling something and it brings us in and so i think that's i think that's one of the things i love about video games is that you can get so invested because there are people behind the scenes, you know, pouring their heart and souls into these things. And it's 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 kind of like a double-edged sword that, you know, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it, and you probably have to grow kind of a thick skin just to be able to say, "Yeah, this is this is what I made. I mean, love it or hate it, I don't, you know, we can work on it, but I mean, that's got to yeah. be hard to do." It is. It is. It's hard. It's hard uh uh to take uh, some of the the more brutal criticisms that are out there, um, but you know, uh, a lesson that I I was lucky enough to to pick up while I worked at Disney. I worked with uh, uh, a really interesting director, uh, movie director at Disney, and uh, he said, uh, as you know, he was we were getting ready to launch his movie. He said, "Look, you know the." The movie's going to go out and it's going to do what it's going to do, but it'll find its audience and there will be those people who love it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's who I'm making this, this movie for. And, uh, I feel a lot of times the same way about games. You know, you, you make a game, uh, you pour your heart and your soul into it and you get some things right and you get some things wrong and it goes out and it finds its audience. And, you know, we're lucky enough that the people who have loved and played Anthem and stuck around and, you know, built up communities around it and had amazing moments in it, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky to have those people. And I personally am very grateful for that community. 
and I'm happy that it's gone out and made some people uh, happy and uh, given them hours of enjoyment. And, you know, that's, that's why you do it. That's why you get up in the morning. And, you know, for the people that we disappointed, I did, I'm sorry for it. And it breaks my heart. Uh, and, you know, you just try to learn your lessons. You can go back and you, you do it again and you try to be better. Yeah. And and I think one thing, I mean, you guys, either way, you created an emotion in somebody, and, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of games out there, you know, they just they don't create emotion. And at least you can say, I, I created an emotion in you, whether it was good or bad, that I made you feel something. And I don't know if that's like, hey, we made you feel crappy. That's awesome for us. But I mean, it's you're making somebody feel something. So you've done you've done something to someone. You had an impact on someone. And and for us, it's been it's been a roller coaster of a ride, you know, covering Anthem and being in there since day one and starting a podcast and being able to talk to you guys that it's, you know, those are like memories that that we'll never forget. And, you know, we're super grateful for the passion and just being able to talk to developers that have worked on the game. Like, you know, everyone that we've talked to has been super kind and super helpful and, you know, just willing to talk and listen. And, you know, that that's got to be a really hard thing to do, especially when, I mean, you, you work at a studio that has like massive budgets. I mean, like Bioware is, is one of the, one of the big developers out there. Do you think that, and this is something I've thought about a lot. Do you think that, you know, the way games are made now, that it would, it would kind of be nice if we just kind of scaled back a little bit and stopped, you know, going for these massive, massive budgets and having to, you know, crunch to put these things out that maybe, hey, we could just kind of make a smaller experience and we can get it out there and people will love it and then be able to do more of them? Because it seems like the $60 price tag, that's not something that's super sustainable with the amount of, you know these massive projects that people are putting out. I don't know if that's even a question. I think that uh, my opinion on it is we need, we need entertainment in various forms. I love just like my movies. I love summer blockbusters. I love the Avengers, but that doesn't mean that I don't really enjoy a a well-made, you know, small, small film, small production. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel the same way about games. I, uh, you know, dead cells was one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, I love that game, <laughs> you know, and that was not a big team. Uh, and I, I think that there's room in the industry to have big blockbusters. And I think that, you know, there's all sorts of talented uh, houses and developers out there that are, that are bringing us, uh, you know, different takes on it, the indie, indie games or triple uh, a indie. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, like Ninja theory is creating a bunch of amazing stuff over there. I don't know if you played Hellblade, but uh, that was uh, a really interesting, interesting experience. I, I really enjoyed that. So, you know, there's there's room. And I, I think that's the most important thing. When we as an industry don't have room for uh, all sorts of developers with all sorts of budgets, then we're in trouble. Then we're in real trouble. Do you do you think Bioware has room for some of those smaller smaller teams and you know smaller titles that could potentially come out in the future because to me it seems like bioware is like hey you guys are you're one of the michael bays of the industry you're going to make these big blockbusters sell millions of copies i mean you have some of the biggest franchises in the industry that you know it'd be silly not to capitalize on that right so is there room for like hey this is a small new ip a group of 30 developers and this is what we came up with I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll see. I think that, you know, right now to, to build a game like a, a Mass Effect or Dragon Age or, or an Anthem requires uh, a lot of effort. 
a, a gigantic amount of effort. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I think that there's certainly interest and appetite at the studio level to explore new things and do new things. Uh, but we also want to make sure that we're uh, telling the stories, uh, the big stories that we want to tell. And, you know, and that requires a vehicle like a Dragon Age uh, or an anthem to, to get it done. So, so speaking of stories, is there is there a piece of literature or a piece of entertainment that's really had an impact on you, like on a personal level, that's really stuck with you? Like, I know that <laughs> that that drives you to be like, hey, I remember when I read The Hobbit, and this is like informed yeah. all of my yeah. years from from here on. There's a lot of them actually, but like I said earlier, I'm a voracious reader. Um, I think some of the big titles or big novels that have stuck with me are you know clearly lord of the rings uh i read at a very early age and that really had a big effect on uh on me as a person and uh opened up a whole new world where i figured out that you know imagination is a wonderful wonderful thing uh beowulf uh the odyssey those those books sit with me a lot in the back of my mind the uh, thousand and one nights um, those books uh, are are key to to my own creative process and who I am as a person. Um, and those are the ones that I usually go back to. So a lot of the hero's journey, then. So, oh yeah, for sure. I'm a big uh, I'm a big Joseph Campbell nut. Very cool. Is it is <laughs> there? Do you have like a a a an IP that'd be like your white whale that you would love to work on, whether it's from a book or an existing um, IP that's out there in the video game world that you're like, man, I have to work on this. I have to work on a Halo title before I retire. Do you have something like that that you just, before you're, yeah, I do. before John Warner's done, what is it? Can you tell us? Like a bucket list? I can't, I can't tell you what it is. Oh, you can't, can't tell you what it is. Can you tell us what it rhymes no. with? It rhymes with, I can't tell you. It rhymes with Shmalo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wait. Kiki Wolfkill, if you're listening, I'm here. <laughs> well, well, I really appreciate the time that you had um, for us, John. I mean, we, we could probably talk for, for minutes and minutes more, um, but I know that it's it's – I don't even know what time zone you're in because I, I, for some reason I thought you were still in the States. I didn't even know that you were back up in Canada. I'm but, in the cold time zone, uh, but that is – it's we're mountain time. We're in the mountain time zone. But uh, I appreciate you guys for having me on. You guys run a great community. I've appreciated you from day one. Uh, and meeting you is always a great pleasure to me. And so uh, just thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. No, we, we really appreciate, appreciate it. You. We, we were hoping that we might be able to meet again at uh, EA Play, but I'm guessing that that's probably not going to happen this year, which is kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, let's not, uh, let's not do it this year. Let's do it next year. Sounds good. Cool. And John, do you do you have any parting words for all the for all the Anthem fans out there? Anything you would like to say before before you sign off? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank each and every one of you. If I could if I could personally reach out and thank each and every one of you, I, I would. Uh, I think that you know you're the reason why uh, why we get up in the morning and making games that make you happy. And the fact that you've had so much fun uh, and stuck with Anthem and enjoyed it for what it is. Uh, that just means the world to me, uh, and you'll never, you'll never know really how much it means to me. So, thank you from the bottom of my heart, and uh, hopefully we'll see each other in person someday. Soon. 
pretty soon. Hey, John, thanks a lot. All right, Thank guys. Thank you so much for stopping by. There's a right shaper storm out Dallas, there. No, no way. No fun in that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, folks. We'll see, see you, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And with that, there's a shaper storm on the horizon, and we'll see you on the other side. Peace. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Freelancer Codex, on Facebook at Freelancer Codex, or through email at freelancercodex at gmail.com. Join the Discord through the link provided at freelancercodex.com. Our show will always be free, but if you'd like to send some support, you may do so at patreon.com slash freelancercodex. Our individual Twitter handles are at Stephen Lamson, at mlamson25, at neverfear, and at JD the Joke Dealer. Freelancers, it's time to get to work. Do you guys remember the Chris Farley show?